Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is ran by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Wheel of Crime podcast. My name is Jen. And my name is Emily. It's uh, another week gone by, as we say every week, because that's how yes. time works. <laughs> um, <coughs> whoa. <coughs> I just inhaled a lot of spit. Um, I was going to ask you something and now I don't really remember. Um, we could how talk was about the weather. <laughs> uh, my week was good. Um, I've been uh, just keep him busy with work um resisting the urge to go thrift shopping because that's Mm. just never goes away really even while i'm at the thrift store and yeah that's honestly pretty much it um i did buy a new game which is called monster hunter so i've been playing a little bit of that and uh oh john plays that yeah and i've also been watching a lot of anime which i know john also does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys you guys should uh, play Monster Hunter together sometime. We'll have to wait, because uh, I am definitely super sucking at this game. It's my first one mm-hmm. that I've played of the series, and it's not going well. <laughs> I well, definitely threw myself down a cliff multiple times and then failed the mission. So it's going great. It happens to the best of us. You know, sometimes you just throw yourself down a cliff, and then you just gotta keep going somehow yep mentally physically emotionally spiritually (laughs) we're all throwing ourselves down cliffs somehow exactly yeah i would concur (laughs) so then what about your week was there anything that was like super fun i did my taxes so that was boo spicy (laughs) i keep that's like I keep getting advertisements for TurboTax or whatever it is on uh, mm-hmm. all of my social media. And I'm like, listen, I've already done them. It's too late for me. <laughs> Try someone else. I, I'm done. I'm I'm not going back. Right? But at least like once they're done, it is a weight off your shoulders. At least it is for me until the CRA calls you in there like, you've done something wrong. And you're like, oh, no, what? What was it? <laughs> well, I'm really hoping that doesn't happen. Uh. Knock on wood. Oh, God. Hang on. (laughs) We're good. That was a solid (laughs) knock. I just scared somebody out in the parking lot. Oop, thief. Mm. (laughs) But, yeah. Um, yeah, nothing else really new. Uh, Yeah, see, we hit record and then my mind mm. just completely blanks. I could have a million and one things to talk about normally, but as soon as the microphone's (laughs) running, I'm like, it's schwimby outside. Like, I don't know. Because I'm literally by a window. I'm like, I can tell you what the weather's like right as we speak. I'm looking out and um, I see some blue skies. I mean, it looks like a little darker because we're recording at like 8 p.m. But other than that, I mean, it's been a beautiful day. Really? Well, like here it was, but it kind of looks like a storm might be blowing in. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, right before we recorded, I went to go shut the window and I watched like a big gust pick up and literally... 
every single piece of trash that was in like the little ditch beside the gravel road picked up and like twirled away and i was like all right it's the countryside's problem now i guess (laughs) yeah it, it was beautiful today i don't know it's still nice out but Apparently, it's supposed to snow tonight, so I'm not looking forward Mm. to that. Yeah, I don't love that. That's like, uh, I can't remember what day it was, but we got like two feet of snow, and I was like, I'm not surprised, but I am a little disappointed. I am very disappointed in your actions, Weather. Uh, Do better. Literally. Mother Nature? Do better. Side eye. Right? But let's come on to our wheel of questions, because I'm really excited to tell you my story today. Okay, let's hit it. Um, have you ever joined or been asked to join an MLM slash pyramid scheme? Do you know what an MLM is? Multi-level marketing. Yes. Yes, I have been asked to join by multiple people, actually. I don't know if it's like I just give off this like really approachable vibe. I've been asked (laughs) to sell knives. I've been asked to sell makeup i've been asked to sell leggings i've been asked to sell dildos everything you can think of i've been asked to do it yeah i have been asked i am not approachable so i don't think that's it for you (laughs) you're too spicy Um, (laughs) i give (laughs) off the don't fucking talk to me vibe but i've been asked to sell like quite a few fucking things and yeah I just, it's a no for me, sis. Mm-hmm. For me, the big one that I seem to get, like, asked about a lot is makeup. Like, I don't know what it is about the the makeup multi-level marketing schemes, but they're always after me. And I'm like, and I'm like, do I look like I need it? <laughs> is this offensive? I can't decide. <laughs> I get a lot of the, I've gotten a few of the makeup ones, but uh, the knife one, I accidentally interviewed for somehow because I oh, thought yeah. it was a real job. I remember you told me about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when I realized, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. To be fair, though, I feel like if, like, you were to get sucked into an MLM, it would be the knife selling one. A hundred percent. Why? Well, if I was to get sucked into one, it probably would be the makeup one or the leggings one. It's just if I had to pick an LM, MLM for you, it would be the knife one. Why? What gives What gives me that vibe? Because you're shiny and sharp. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got a nice wooden hilt. I have no fucking idea. Um. <laughs> well, uh, I'm flattered, but a little offended. Good at cooking. There's just so many things. <laughs> There's just so many things. I see. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, what about me then? Which one could you picture, like, me accidentally falling for to sell stuff for? Okay, mine's pretty specific that I think you'd fall for. Okay, I'm ready. What is it? I think that you would fall for. So get this. It's a business. And it's about upgrading. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. You mean a cult? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Well, I mean, this is fair, actually. This is fair. <laughs> if you didn't listen to our uh, our last or two episodes ago, Emily yeah. told us about how she almost joined a cult um, under the ruse that it was about business stuff and yeah. uh, and 
and clearly it didn't work because I'm still here and I've got uh, all of my all of my good sense that I had before. Uh, well, I hope more actually. Not in a cult. <laughs> I'm not in a cult. That's the biggest difference. Um, yeah, that's fun, but also fair. All right, yeah. should we spin? For, should we spin for our next question? Spin again. What are your thoughts on the business practice of MLMs? I understand it, but obviously the whole purpose is that to make any money, you need to be at the top. So, like a I, pyramid, almost. Almost like a pyramid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for legal like, reasons, that's a joke. <laughs> literally. Well, and it's like uh, I remember seeing a picture once, and it was supposed to be about like normal business, where it's like a man at the top but like everybody's being illustrated as birds but the man at the top isn't getting shit on but he's shitting so then he's shitting on the people the next level below him and then those birds are shitting on whoever's below them and that's Mm -hmm. what literally what i picture in my head every single time i think about an mlm is like look at all these people with no money who are being shit on constantly and that's all i can think about I mean, when you put it like that, I'm like, is everything an MLM? Right? I know. I've thought about that, too. And then I was like, well, I don't want to take it that far. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have too many thoughts. Too many thoughts is a lot of work. We'll, we'll keep to having just the two thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Reel it, reel it in. Reel it in. Okay. Right? Gotcha. All right. Well, what about you? I obviously don't love the business practices of MLMs. I just feel like it's very predatory and like Mm -hmm. a lot of them are borderline (laughs) pyramid schemes and i just feel like they generally prey on people who are in a bad position and are just trying to find a way to either make extra money or have flexibility by like owning their own business quote unquote like a lot of stay-at-home moms get kind of sucked into those things or Mm -hmm. and i just i fucking hate the like girl boss sentiment that's been attached to it it's just like yeah honestly it's it makes me in the same way because then it's it's kind of a hard thing where you kind of i understand why people who feel successful in multi-level marketing would want to do like the whole girl boss thing but the whole point Mm -hmm. Of, you know, being a lady in business is that you aren't taking the direction of where you're working in a multi-level marketing uh, type workplace. It's where you have your own business and you're making your own money and you're doing a lot of those like independent type things, which is a very different work than the kind of work you'd find in a multi-level marketing business, you know? So then it it takes away from a lot of that and it takes away from a lot of like women who are wanting to be you know, more independent, especially financially and like all these other things. And so I, I squint very heavily at a, at a lot of that stuff. Cause I'm like, Hmm, mm. you might not be intending, but you're, you're, you're damaging the meaning behind the whole phrase. Yeah. I just, I just don't love it. I just feel like it's very predatory and they sell this idea and too many people have taken big financial hits because of it and i just Mm -hmm. i don't like that i don't like the culture of it i think it's really toxic yeah i totally agree with you um so then for that note should we spin for our next question yes spin again number four 
When you think of MLMs, what kind of <laughs> vibe do they give you? Um, honestly, like, okay, picture this. Picture hyenas. Mm-hmm. And okay, I'm ra- picturing oh, it. Yeah, and then instead of, like, them <laughs> existing out in the savannah, they're existing in, like, the streets of, like, Tokyo. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So, like, not everybody necessarily notices that there's a hyena there, but that doesn't change the fact that they're there. And the hyenas know about the other hyenas, and the hyenas have their own hierarchy. Mm, Yeah, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, it's not a great example, but, like, that's kind of, like, the vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Hyenas in Tokyo. If I'm gonna be vibe. honest, it sounds like a really terrible low budget film. Like if, I, like if I'm gonna be completely honest. <laughs> but like but yeah, no, just like in general though, like say taking what you said before, like the whole predatory factor, and then you have like the being taken advantage of like people who aren't in like really good positions and all that, that's just kind of in general, like I guess the vibe that I get is like mm-hmm. I'm not impressed. And it's I'm kinda not and, either. and it repulses me. A little bit. And I also find it strange from an outside perspective. Like, you would hyenas in Tokyo. So that's kind of what I'm going to go for. See, to me, it's also just really fucking annoying. I remember when I first mm-hmm. moved to the city that I'm in now, which is a, a bigger city in the province that we live in. Uh, I was looking for jobs. And, like, a lot of them were just fucking, like, MLMs trying to be sneaky and, like, trick you into coming to the interview. And I'm like, can we not? Like... I'm trying to look for a real job. (laughs) That's what I mean. It feels like a fake job. Like, it's not something that feels like it should be real. And then you're like, oh, my God, like, people are conned into this, like, all the time. And if you don't know Mm -hmm. what to look for, then you won't see it. Then you're fucked. Mm Mm-hmm. Terrible. I hate that. The vibe is not good. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like, I remember my mom and I once, we... There was something where, like, she entered, like, mine and her name into, like, a draw somewhere. And it was supposed to be, like, some kind of, like, um... Like, how the draw was listed as... It it was, like, a... Uh, facial massage package type thing. Yeah, so it was supposed to be, like, some sort of, like, esthetician company that was putting it on or whatever... It was an MLM. So then you win in this draw, which means that they take everybody's names who put it in that are interested. And then they call you back to invite you over to, like, sell these products to you that are, like, facial products. I would riot in the streets. (laughs) Dude. I just remember, because my mom and I went, and I just remember, like, sitting in this weird lady's house, and I'm like, I would, I want to be anywhere else but here right now. (laughs) We look like fools. (laughs) This is terrible. Get me out of here. I know my mom had um had friends who would sell like jewelry or Tupperware and they would like invite themselves over to my mom's house for those parties. Yeah. And I just remember always being like, this is so weird. See, that's like my mom. She had people come over too, and there was a there was a lady who did Tupperware. There was a lady who did something having to do with candles. Maybe it was like I don't want to say scentsy, but it's, like, one of those things. It's, like, the wax, like... That is scentsy, I think. Yeah, so it was one of those. And then uh, there was one other one, too, where it was definitely... I think it was jewelry. And, like, I asked my mom about it it once, and I was like, how did this happen? And she's like, 
I don't know, man. <laughs> They're my friends. I know them. They asked me if they could do this. And I said, sure. And now here we are. And I was like, this happens too much. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> yes. So those are my thoughts. One more. And then, yeah, let's spin the wheel again. Let's spin again. <laughs> you were like scared. You're like, no, Emily. There's another question. <laughs> There's one more question. Okay, I guess that'll be your last question. <laughs> I'm not okay. Have you ever had a scary encounter with someone trying to sell you something or vice versa? Like in general? Like, I'm assuming we're still speaking about MLMs. I mean, it could be an MLM or it could be in general. Either or. A scary experience I've had with somebody trying to sell me stuff. Yeah, or vice versa. Or like if you were trying to sell someone something in there. Or if I was trying to scare somebody by selling something to them. (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was more meaning if you were trying to sell something to someone and they they were like aggressive to you and you were scared in some way or something oh okay yeah no if i was trying to be scary then it would just be a funny story um (laughs) i mean if you have a story tell it see that's just the thing like i have normal i've been pretty good with picking out like like the kinds of people like say i'm interested in something and i'm like trying to like figure out to buy something from somebody like normally i'm very picky like there's certain cues that people will give when they're talking where like if it seems fishy like i'm not gonna go put myself in a situation especially because normally i'm by myself when i do this kind of stuff right but like honestly i would say probably that thing that i went to with my mom (laughs) because like (laughs) well it was strange too because it was in a like a smaller part of town and like they it was like under the guise of a business right so We Mm -hmm. were on, like, the north end of town, like, deep in a residential area, and I was like, I don't know where the fucking business is, but this is weird. And, and, uh, like, my mom was like, maybe it's right out of a house. And it was, like, some lady's basement suite, and, like, all the outdoor lights were, like, broken and off, and there's just, like, a bunch of, like, abandoned children's toys in, like, the garden. And I was like, I don't like this, but we still went in there. And we Hmm. still sat down at her table, and I was like... I don't even know why we rang the doorbell, to be completely honest. Sorry, there wasn't a doorbell. I don't even know why we knocked on the door, to be completely honest. I would have just left. Honestly, now, I would have just left as well. Oh, yeah. But I think at that point, like, I was just, like, like, I like to think of a polite person. Your mom was committed. Yes. She was like, my- I'm getting this facial massage. Yeah. Mom's like, I want it. <laughs> We're getting it done. I don't care where it is. Whereas, like, with me, like, I like <laughs> to think of myself as, like, a polite person. So I'm not... Well, like, I'm better now. But, like, back then, I wasn't very good at saying no. So I literally was just at the door, like, okay, if we die today, it's just, it be how it be, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God, that's really funny. And, yeah, so that would be, like, the one thing, because I was, like, coerced into it by my mother. But, like, yeah, no, I can't really think of anything else. What about you, mm-hmm. though? I have I... one on my mind that uh, that was something that you did, and I want to see if it's the story you share. No, no, you tell me that one first, because I don't no. think... I don't know if I told you this one. Well, I... Tell me first. <laughs> uh, the one I was thinking of was uh, in the place that we uh, originate from. 
uh, how you went to go see, I think it was, like, corgi puppies, and this lady had a bunch of, like, random, maybe oh shih tzu puppies, and she's like, bring cash up front, and then, like, tried to get you to come in the house by yourself and stuff like that. I forgot about that. That was scary. Yup. And I, I still think about it. This is why I'm so cautious is because I'm like, one day somebody's going to be like, Emily, bring $400 to this random part of town behind like a random store. I'll meet you there at midnight and come into my car by yourself. And I'm going to be like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So the story that I had in mind was one that I don't think I've actually told to anyone because after it happened, I thought I was going to get in trouble. Um, oh, now I'm intrigued. What kind so of trouble? It was graded, I want to say eight or nine. And I was trying to raise money to go on our Quebec trip in middle school. Mm-hmm. And because we all like, they like mandated that we had to fundraise a certain amount or whatever. Like we couldn't just pay for it. Like you had to fundraise. Right. So I was selling fucking like meat or something. I, I know I'm pretty exactly sh- what you're talking about. I also had to smell, smell, whoa, <laughs> sell meat <laughs> at one point for a fundraiser, which is like, it's a weird thing, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and so, like, I did a lot of fundraising when I was in middle school um, because, like, I just, like, I remember I had, like, done some, like, charity work and I would go door-to-door canvassing for them. I never had a problem with it. Like, whatever. I knew our neighborhood quite well. So, I, one night, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go out. And it was, like, it was spring, so, like, it was getting darker later mm-hmm. and I think I went out at like 7 p.m. because I wanted to hit the after supper crowd like that was my goal oh, yeah, the they're like supper. full and they're happy yeah exactly I was smart okay <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea I think it's smart um so I went and I was like far away from my house kind of but like I wasn't that far and it was like it had gotten dark at this point so I was like okay I'm gonna do like two more houses and then I'm gonna go home Mm -hmm. and so I went up to this one house which I usually avoided because like it just it was like a little bit more run down and I like they just I remember I'd gone there a few times before and they were never home but I saw their lights on like some weird vibes it gave me weird vibes, but I saw their lights on, so I was like, you know what? Fuck it. They're home. I'm going to hit them up. They're, they just had dinner, probably. They have a house. Obviously, they have money. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go talk to them. Exactly. So I went up to them, and I was by myself, mind you. And, like, this is... I didn't... I had a cell phone, but I didn't bring it or whatever because it just, like, wasn't really a thing It wasn't yet. so much a big deal when you were a kid, I think, compared to, like, being, like, a grown-ass person. Yeah. And so I went up to this house and this grown man answers, probably like late 40s. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to sell him this fucking meat. <laughs> and he is like, oh, yeah, like I totally want to buy some or whatever. And he's like, oh, just step in and I'll like go get my wallet or whatever. And I had done that before like a lot. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And so I stepped in and he shut the door and I remember, like, instantly, like, my gut dropped. Mm-hmm. And 
he was like, oh, come, like, sit down on the couch while I do this. And he was like, and then I was like, oh, I was like, actually, I have to go. Like, my mom's expecting me. And he's like, no, you're going to stay, like, while I get my stuff or whatever. He's telling you to stay? He's like, no, I don't really care what you're doing. You're staying. Yeah, I just remember I had the worst gut feeling. And then I was like, oh, like, I need to go. And he just, like, got really angry at me and was, like, trying to intimidate me. And I ran away. Like, I opened the door and I ran because I was so fucking scared. Good. That's shady as hell. Are you kidding me? I just, like... I don't know. I can still, like, remember it quite vividly because, like, and then I didn't want to tell my mom because I thought she was going to get mad at me. See, that's, like, the one thing, though, where, like, a lot of, like, these, like, crimes against children happen and the perpetrators get away because the kids are worried about getting in trouble. It's, like, a real thing that happens, like, all the time. I know, because I was, like, I don't know. Like, because she was always, like, she would always get mad at me if I told her that I went inside their house because she was, like, don't you ever go in their fucking house. And I was, like, Oh, that was, like, my mom, too. I remember, it's, like, what you were saying, though. I remember, like, collecting bottles once and somebody's, like, oh, you can just step in the door. And I was, like, nope. My ass is staying right here on your porch. (laughs) I ain't playing no games. (laughs) I ain't playing no fucking games. And then I was just kind of scared because... Like, I wasn't done fundraising, and I was walking around that neighborhood still. And You're I was like, I still just... have all this meat. <laughs> I was worried this guy <laughs> was going to, like, kill me or something. Well, no, because, like, like, honestly, though, like, because I've done a fair bit of reading into, like, people who behave like this on, like, what his, like... what you, From what you're telling me, his whole thing would have been about control. He's trying to intimidate you because he wants you to stay there, obviously, because he doesn't have good plans for you. Which mm-hmm. is why he would have been going into another room, which is why he was getting frustrated with you for not cooperating. Yeah. Right? So I would say you probably did the best thing that you could have as a kid. Obviously, like, telling somebody probably would have been a bit, like, a helpful thing. But then, you're right, though. Your mom probably would have been mad at you because she'd be like, Damn, Jennifer, I've told you to stay out of strangers' houses. <laughs> now look at us. Right. I was like, I ain't fucking getting in trouble. Like, it's fine. But I See, though, that's a very easy situation, though, that, like, anybody could have fallen into, though. Because it's like what you're saying, though, when you're doing that kind of stuff as a kid, a lot of times people will invite you in because they feel, if you're, like, a good person, you feel bad about, like, a 12-year-old standing in the cold outside and you're like, oh, it's okay. Like, I'm going to be, like, a minute. Like, I got to look at my purse. Like, if you want to come in, you can. Like, you're trying to, like be a good adult but then there's other Mm -hmm. people who take advantage of that too right so it's like a really like weird line on trying to like figure out what the best thing to do is Mm -hmm. but i've literally never ran home so fucking fast like i remember like literally booking her (laughs) see that's like well funny enough just like from your story it made me remember something like from me but like so like my situation was i was doing a bottle drive and my dad never let us out of his sight. He would, like, never be walking with us because he mm-hmm. said that, like, a part of the fundraiser was, like, our own effort into it. So we would be walking house to house, but he would be parked on the street watching. <laughs> oh, what a bitch. Right? So, like, back then, I mean, I was like, I could be warm right now. But, like, I I was thankful for it on this one day, though, because we were doing... um the bottle drive and it was around my old elementary school so like normally you don't think like oh there's not anybody too weird who would be like living beside an elementary school that's what i thought as a kid as an adult yes weird people would do that so (laughs) 
<laughs> so we went to this one guy's house and he was in there by himself and he was like, oh, if you want to come inside and help me with these bottles in the back, like, I'll give you a little extra. And like, already I felt weird about it because he kind of like, he didn't like let me talk. He would like be trying to like have conversations with me. Like I rang on the door and he opened it. And then I was like, oh, I'm here for this. And then he was like, kept like trying to like have like distracting conversations with me and like invite me in. And I just remember that his entire body, like it wasn't just his breath. It was his whole body because he was like basically leaning out of the front door to talk to me. Mm -hmm. Smelled like fruit snacks. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it was just like a really sweet, sickly, sour smell. And I was like you smell like a bottle depot. Like, I don't want to come in. Like, clearly you have enough. And so he was like, oh, like, I'll need help carrying it out. I was like, it's fine. It's not that important. And I left. But, like, I think about that often enough, though, where I'm like, it's weird, though, like, because normal people don't talk like that. So, like, thinking back, I'm like, that would have definitely been a situation where, like, had I gone in, who's Who fucking to say? Knows? Who's At to least say? your dad was near, so he probably would have, like, Oh, yeah, which is why I felt confident enough to say no in the first place, though. Because this guy had no idea my dad was, like, literally on the street like this watching me. Because my dad (laughs) didn't have a cell phone for many, many years. He only had time to watch us. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So I am thankful for that. But, yeah, no, people be cray, though. Like, and it makes me mad, though, too, when I do think back on those types of situations. Because I'm like... What fucking rotten people out here, like, taking advantage of kids, like, scaring them, manipulating them. Like, what awful people. Like, why you gotta be like that? I'm just trying to sell you my fucking meat. I'm like, if you're not here to buy bacon, I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need a freezer full of pork chops. Like, what's the point of your existence? Then we have no business with each other. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's over. Really, though? Like, I could see the two of us, like, as, like pre-teens like 13 14 in like little business suits trying to sell fucking meat to people and then being like <laughs> oh my god like what how's school and we're gonna be like <laughs> and we would have been like sorry ma'am like we're only here to sell ribs like we don't have time for extra conversation <laughs> do you want the ribs or not i have snap 10 and, more snap, houses to go literally snap in the briefcase shut like if you're not interested then we ain't got no business with you <laughs> just fucking leave <laughs> i can literally see it in my (laughs) mind's eye that would have been glorious oh so many so many missed opportunities like the most missed opportunities literally but now that we're done our wheel of questions i guess i should try guessing what your story is for today okay guess multi-level marketing lady has a party okay she sells avon and then everybody she brings to the party she kidnaps them locks them in her house and she's like if you do not buy a cheap cosmetic bag full of mascara this instant you will never leave and that's the crime you're not close but you're also not that far off you've got the essence of the thing right Okay, I got it. I got it. All right. You got th- I'm super curious, though, because I have no idea what you're going to share with me. So, a few episodes ago, Emily told us how she was almost inducted into a cult. And yep. 
found it out literally right before we recorded and I'm like, no, that didn't happen to you. You're like, that's a cult. <laughs> exactly. That cult that she told me about sounded a lot like this other cult that exists. So I don't know if that was a cult that you were about to be inducted into, but I'm going to tell you about the, the cult that exists anyway. All right. I'm here for it since this is very relevant to my life story, apparently. Yes. So before I get into the story, I will just say that there is a lot going on with this case. And for the sake of our time, there is no possible way for me to include all the details, which is V-SAD. But mm-hmm. uh, if you're interested, I will link some resources for you all in the show notes, if I remember. Hopefully editing Jen will hear this and remember. All right, let's hear it. All right. So I'm going to tell you today about a man named Keith Ranieri. He was born on August 26, 1960 in Brooklyn, New York. His father was named James and he was in the advertising biz in New York City. And his mom's name was Vera and she was a ballroom dance instructor. Keith's father recalls Vera drank more than she should have. And in adulthood, Keith himself privately described his mother as an alcoholic. When Keith was five, his family relocated from Brooklyn to Suffern, New York, and Keith considered himself special from a very young age. He claimed that he could speak in full sentences at the age of one and read books by the age of two. He said that he taught himself to play concert-level piano at 12, and the same year he learned high school math in only 19 hours. Allegedly. I was going to say, allegedly, he sounds much cooler than me, even today. (laughs) Which isn't by much. I mean, believe what you will, but I'm just saying that's a lot. It's also very alleged. Very alleged. See, what got me was the whole learned math in 19 hours. Like, I don't even think I managed that in 19 years, let's be honest. (laughs) Fucking true. (laughs) (laughs) So his mother had a heart condition, and she was often in bed. She and his father fought a lot, and his parents divorced when he was eight. And as an only child, he became his mother's sole caregiver. So that'd be pretty tough. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Keith's father, James, allegedly told family members that, quote, What we did is we told Keith about how gifted and how intelligent he was. He said it was almost like a switch went off, and suddenly overnight he turned into, like, Jesus Christ, and that he was superior and better than everybody, like he was a deity. He said that it was dramatic and that profound. He said that it went right to his head. You compliment somebody once and they just think they've got it all. They think they're like Jesus Christ. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I just pictured somebody walking on water and I was like, you know, <laughs> if they could, I might think the same thing. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean... Turning water into wine? I mean, I wish I had that skill. I to wish. Be honest. If I could have any power, that would water be it. Water to wine. Call yeah. me Dionysus. I am here for it. <laughs> I would be so happy about that. Absolutely. So, <laughs> he graduated in June 1978, two months prior to his 18th birthday. That was high school that he graduated from. And his mother died when he was 18, and the relationships outside of his family became increasingly important to him. He then went on in 1982 to graduate from 
Ressler Polytechnic Institute with a 2.26 GPA, having failed or barely passed many of the upper-level math and science classes that he bragged about taking. (laughs) Well, obviously 19 hours wasn't enough, I guess. (laughs) I mean, that's like me when I'm like, yeah, I read a book in five minutes. It's literally like that. You're right. <laughs> or it's like it's like you watch one one tube video and you're like, I am a master chef. <laughs> like uh-huh. Gordon Ramsay, step out. Step aside. I know everything, and that's the truth. And then you, and then like if you're me, it's like you can barely make a piece of toast. And I'm like, see, it's gourmet. You see, I fucking made a quesadilla for dinner tonight, and it fucking burned, and I was so sad. <laughs> I know. That's like, I can't remember what it was I made the other day. I just remember the smell and I was like, no! Terrible. Awful. So, through the 1980s, Keith was involved with the multi-level marketing company Amway. Heidi Hutcherson recalled that during the late 1980s, he was fascinated by Amway, Scientology, and neurolinguistic programming. Keith also worked as a computer programmer for New York State Division of Parole. And Keith was the founder slash creator of three MLMs between 1990 to the late 2010s. Huh. Interesting. Yes. So his first uh, venture into pyramid scre- pyramid screams. Pyramid screams. Pyramid That's how screams. I feel about them. So I mean, fair. <laughs> He was the founder of Consumers Byline Incorporated, which was basically a nationwide buying club offering discounts to members who could become affiliates and recruit more members. While Keith was running Consumer Byline Incorporated, according to the Times Union, in 1984, the 24-year-old Keith allegedly had a sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl named Gina Maletta. And after the two met in a theater group, they ended their relationship shortly thereafter. And Gina Maletta introduced him to her friend, also named Gina, uh, but her last name is Hutcherson. I will refer to her as Gina H. from here on. Okay. Um, who was also 15 years old. What a creep. Yeah. There's nothing, literally 0% of anything about 15 year olds is attractive. I was 15 once. I remember. Disgusting. Heinous. Heinous. Sorry, 15 year olds, but it's true. You'll look back in 10 years and be like, yeah, you're only going to get older and then you'll understand us. And we will (laughs) still be saying the same thing. Exactly. Um... So, Gina H., uh, her sister Heidi, told the Times Union that Keith had been having sex with her. And after Heidi found Keith climbing out of, climbing into Gina H.'s bedroom window, the sister confronted them. And Keith told her that Gina H. was, quote, a Buddhist goddess meant to be with him. (laughs) Sorry. I should not be laughing. Um, that's. I wish somebody would call me a Buddhist goddess. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a great compliment, but then you think about the context, and you're like, uh, not that's to a fifteen-year-old though. Goddess is a stretch. Goddess is a stretch. Buddhist, sure. 
Uh, they could be. I have no idea, but love you guys. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, Gina H. dropped out of school and continued her relationship with Keith, working at his company, Consumers Byline, at the time. The company was shut down in 1993 after being investigated by 20 states that year. Uh, New York filed a lawsuit alleging the organization was a pyramid scheme. In 1996, Keith signed consent order permanently barring him from promoting, offering, or granting participation in a chain distribution scheme and ordering him to pay a $40,000 fine. Good. Okay, good. Well, not good for Gina H. <laughs> no, but, but like... I'm picturing for her, though, like, I don't know where this story's gonna go, but imagine, like, you had, like, a history of dropping out of school at 15 to date, like, an old man and work at his multi-level marketing company. I would pass away from the embarrassment. I would literally change my whole identity. Keith's... <laughs> You're giving me a look. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Keith's next MLM venture was National Health Network, which was a multi-level seller of vitamins. That business failed in 1999, and the and in the mid-90s, Keith and his partner, business partner, Tony Natalie, operated a health product store together. And in 1998, Keith and Tony met a woman named Nancy Salzman, who was a nurse and a trained practitioner of hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming. Ah, yes. Yes. In Also in 1998, Keith met Christina Marie Mel- Melanokos, who had was a recently divorced mother who had won the title of Miss, Michig- Miss Michigan 1995, and she recalled that Keith explained how there was a profound event that would happen to the women who became intimate with him. Sometimes they would even see a blue light. Christine said in an interview later that, quote, ultimately I agreed to be intimate with Keith and it was just as he said. I even saw a blue light, but I don't think I told him so. I remember thinking, wow, my brain is really susceptible to the power of suggestion. I was literally about to say the same thing. I was like, it's crazy about the kinds of things people see with, with like, when people use the, like, right verbiage or the right convincing or the right placebo effect. I mean, at least she acknowledges that it was her brain being susceptible to the power of suggestion. Oh, absolutely, yeah, but... It's still weird, though, that he's like, yeah, if you bone me or I bone you, I don't, I don't choose to understand what he means. But, but like, he's like, you'll see a blue light, like... All right. What's the what's the significance? All right. If you say so. So his final MLM scheme was Nixium. Ah, yes. I remember you telling me about this. Cuz yes. you saw the documentary, right? I did. There there's two documentaries. I've watched both. They're both like uh docu-series. One's called The Vow. It's on uh done by HBO and the other one is called uh, seduced and it's by stars um oh, okay. both very good you should definitely watch them if you are interested in the story at all mm-hmm. um 
So Nixium, which on the outside was presented as a form of professional development for business-minded people, claimed to offer personal and professional development seminars through its executive success programs of large group awareness training. So I'm going to refer to executive success programs as ESPs from here on, just so you guys aren't confused. Um, Um, You mean this thing that sounds exactly like what I was being interviewed for like a few years ago? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, literally all the same verbiage and stuff. Uh, Yeah. That sounds about right. (laughs) So Nixium was based out of New York, but would later form chapters in LA, Vancouver, Mexico City, Monterey, and Guadalajara. Keith founded Nexium with Nancy Salzman in 1998, and Keith claimed that the program's main emphasis is to have people experience more joy in their lives, which you will find out how ironic that is later. Mm-hmm. It always is with these dang cults. Fucking cults. So Keith was really set on making Nexium a long-term successful business after his first two failures and he decided to be very involved with these ESPs and he adopted the title Vanguard which was from his favorite arcade game in which the destruction of one's enemy increased one's own power and Nancy also adopted a new title and she wanted to be referred to as Prefect within Nixium. Hmm. So definitely some different types of titles. Yes. So prefect, from what I understand, is basically what you would call like the dean of a school. Yeah. Or it's like basically Um Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Or like I've seen it also referred to in places before as like if you're like a part of the school's council and say you're in charge of a certain like type of student body or like a certain grade, then you would also be a prefect. Right colloquial yeah much of nixium was influenced by the teachings of ayn rind who was one of keith's favorite authors for a little bit of context ayn rind was a russian american writer and philosopher she is best known for her two best-selling novels the fountainhead and atlas shrugged for developing a psychological system that she called objectivism Rand described objectivism as the concept of man as a heroic being and with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life with the productive achievement of his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute. Academic philosophers have mostly ignored or rejected her philosophy, but nonetheless, objectivism has been a significant influence among libertarian and American conservatives. All right. In 1999, Keith's eight-year relationship with his business partner, Tony, ended, and Tony later claimed to have been the victim of harassment. In a January 2003 ruling, federal judge Robert Littlefield implied Keith was using a legal suit to harass his former business partner. Littlefield wrote, This matter smacks of a jilted fellow's attempt at revenge or retaliation against his former girlfriend, and with many attempts at tripping her up along the way. Which is like the weirdest quote I've ever heard from a judge, personally. There's just a lot there. It's definitely weird. (laughs) 
but I think I understand after having read it 30 times. Um, I was going to say, just like from you telling me right here, right now, I don't think I got it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it literally just, just happened like two seconds ago and I still don't understand what he was trying to say. Basically, he was acting towards his former business partner the way you would act towards an ex-girlfriend if you wanted to be vengeful. Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, jilted what? <laughs> what does he mean? <laughs> the word that trips me up is smacks. Like, I don't yeah. like that. I don't like, like it at all. Okay, that's like, I like instantly had in my head like lip smackers and then jilted. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Where where did this judge go? Where did he come from? <laughs> where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Where did you come from, strange judge man? (laughs) In 2002, Keith and Nancy succeeded in recruiting members of the influential Bronfman family, who were heirs to the multi-billion dollar Seagram's fortune. Sarah Bronfman initially became involved, followed by her sister Claire Bronfman. Their father, Edgar Bronfman Sr., took a Nixium course the following year. In the span of a few months, two people in Keith's life had suspicious deaths. In August 2002, Gina H. resumed contact with Keith and began participating in Nixium, according to her sister Heidi. Oh, girl. No. You I had know. your chance. You had your chance to be gone forever. And on October 11th, 2002, unfortunately, Gina H. was found dead of a gunshot wound to her head on the grounds of a Buddhist monastery in Woodstock, which was ruled an apparent suicide. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Also, mm-hmm. I now retract my gone forever statement. Um, <laughs> that uh, that was not meant to be taken literally. Uh, there were many bad decisions made today. That's <laughs> why <laughs> so I was giving Emily the side eye earlier. She's like, I was wondering. I thought, I literally thought to myself, and I was like, she's gonna end up dead, isn't she? But then I just d- didn't even think about that again. And then I was like, oh yeah, no, she's she's gonna come to come to good sense and be on her own way. And nope, that's not what happened. We saw Regina H. You were Sorry, you were a good Gina person. H. Yeah. So, Kristen Marie Snyder was a 35-year-old environmental consultant who, in November 2002, paid $7,000 to enroll in a 16-day personal development course conducted in Anchorage, Alaska, put on by Nixium leader Nancy Salzman. That following January, Kristen traveled to visit Keith and other leaders in New York, Kristen's mother recalled that her daughter had come to believe she was responsible for the Columbia shuttle disaster and thought Keith was incredible. Interesting correlation. (laughs) All right. I love that those two things are in the same sentence. I'm so confused, but okay. There's been a few things now where you've said them and I'm like, this is just an interesting mishmash of so many things. (laughs) Kristen, accompanied by her partner Heidi Clifford, signed up for a second day or for a second 16-day session in Anchorage. Heidi Clifford later reported that on the 10th day of the course, Christian began claiming to be pregnant with Keith's child. In 2019, it was revealed that Claire Bronfman had claimed that Christian was indeed 
pregnant with Keith's child, according to a former IT consultant. Hattie Clifford recalled, quote, I was told by a Nixium instructor not to bring her to the hospital. That's what makes me feel really bad. On February 6, 2003, Kristen was last seen leaving the Nixium seminar in which she had claimed she had become pregnant with Keith's child. On February 8th, her vehicle was found 120 miles away at Seaward, Alaska. Police covered a note in her email that read as follows. I attended a course called Executive Success Programs based out of Anchorage, Alaska and Albany, New York. I was brainwashed and my emotional center of the brain was killed slash turned off. I still have feeling in my external skin, but my internal organs are rotting. I am sorry, life. I didn't know I was already dead. We may we persist into the future. A separate page of the email noted, No need to search for my body. Okay. Uh, you said she was found in her car, right? Her car was found 120 miles away, but she was not in her vehicle. Okay, I thought she was found in her vehicle, and I was like, bitch, they, they like, found you if they're, <laughs> they're reading this email. What do you mean? But no, uh, that's weird, though, especially because, like, I can see now what you were saying about the whole, like, preaching, like, happiness and a better life thing, because clearly, like, there was a lot of, like manipulation so that people were exactly the opposite if she's like i can feel my external skin my emotional part of the brain is turned off and i'm rotting from the inside out don't look for me yeah so this was ruled a suicide because of the no but the verbiage yeah um a few years later a witness testified that keith had paid $24,000 to obtain the passwords to her email account in which this note was found. That bastard. He so is that's just... Very suspicious. Oh, super sus. But he is just like, he's got stank all over him. Like, all over him. What a sneaky, sneaky bastard. Because it's not like you would pay for that information and then not use it. What's mm-hmm. the point? In October 2003, Keith was featured cloaked in shadows on the cover of Forbes magazine, accompanied by the text, The World's Strangest Executive Coach. The devastating cover story penned by Michael Friedman was entitled Cult of Personality. It was described as a goldmine of previously unpublished information. The cover story discussed Keith's title, Vanguard, and detailed his business. The cover story included a quote from billionaire Edgar Bronfman, who was accusing the organization of being a cult. Vanity Fair subsequently reported on the cover story's impact within the group. People at Nixium were stunned, expecting a positive story the top ranks had spoken to Forbes, including Keith, Nancy, and Sarah Bronfman. What upset them above all were that Edgar Bronfman's remarks. According to Vanity Fair, the Forbes article was a turning point in Keith's relationship with Edgar Bronfman. That was when Edgar became Nixium's enemy number one. Um, Okay. And he had previously been a financial backer and supporter of the company, and his two daughters, at this point, were still huge financial backers of the company and, like, very Mm -hmm. involved. So it was, like, kind of 
telling that their father was like, this fucking thing is not good. I need my kids out. Mm-hmm. Well, good for him, though. Like, as soon as he, like, noticed that there was something, like, not Gucci about what was happening, he's like, yeah, no, we're pulling. Yeah, a witness later recounted that Edgar Bronfman's computer was then compromised and his emails were monitored by the group members of Nixium for a period of years after. Years? Years. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) That's a headache and a half. See, that's such a spooky thing too, the idea that like somebody could literally have their eye on you for years just like waiting for the one thing to come through. Well, I mean, I think you should be more afraid than the rest of us, Emily. I guess. They never got my email. They do have my Facebook. That's about it. (laughs) And we'll leave it at that. Um, Kristen Keffey was a longtime partner of Keith and the mother of his son, Galen. The child born circa 2007 had earlier been reported to be an orphan adopted by Keith and Kristen rather than their biological child. In 2010, it was reported that Keith had ordered that the child kept away from peers and that he was being cared for by nannies speaking five different languages. In February 2014, Kristen broke up with Keith and Nixium after she fled the region with their son and an email bearing her name explained, I have full sole custody, legal custody of Galen. Keith was experimenting on him. I had to get Galen away. That's spooky. I Kristen what means. I have no fucking idea, but that is fucking spooky. Kristen publicly described Keith as dangerous. Fitting. Like, I would say that that's probably pretty accurate for how he's been behaving and all these, like, weird, mysterious deaths that keep popping up. In 2015, it was reported that Kristen had alleged that Keith directed Canadian investigative firm Canaprobe to obtain financial information on six federal judges and a U.S. senator from the state of New York, as well as a reporter, an editor, and a publisher of the Times Union. That same year, Kristen further alleged that Keith had planned to lure his critics to Mexico with an invitation to an anti-cult conference. That's ironic. (laughs) (laughs) Once in Mexico, the critics were to be arrested on false charges by order of a judge who had been bribed. Oh, awesome. Love that. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. In 2005, a 15-year-old girl named Camila was unfortunately introduced to Keith. Camila was supposedly... The first of Keith's nearly 100 slaves, a term that he used with her for over a decade. Keith Wait, so he was... actually called these people slaves? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, she's 15. Guess how old uh-huh. Keith was? 44 years old. <clears throat> Filthy. I hate that. And the messages between the two show that he called himself her husband from that point forward. Terrible. See, I just, I can't. I can't. See, this is like, I know we had this conversation recently about like relationships with large gaps and and all that business. And I feel like a lot of the times with like relationships where it's like 10 years or more people envision this, but it's like... It's not the age gap. It's the nature of an adult, like a grown-ass person, having a relationship with a child. It's disgusting. 
it's in my opinion it's a hundred percent about consent like you're over the age of 18 and you're making this decision for yourself fine if you are a minor no i'm sorry but that's unacceptable literally it's like i remember so this is another part of it too so i remember being like a kid like 13 years old and knowing a girl who was in a relationship with somebody who was like 21 and at the time we were like oh you know that's like normal that's fine yeah like i remember being in high school where like we were like 15 16 and there was a girl who her boyfriend was 29 when we were in high school like there's just these things where like you think about it's like sure they're consenting but then you think about the age of like who the younger party is if you're 13 14 15 years old no absolutely no 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 i don't care about what the age of consent is because i know for a lot of places that it's actually like not like say like 11 but i know it's quite a bit younger than it is where we're from but like still if you have like child brain which i do include teenagers in that then no i don't think so absolutely not so, according to her testimony, Camila says that Keith extracted a vow of obedience over her in 2014 when she was 24 years old, even though their relationship had started years before that. According to the Times Union, the vow included Camila's promise to drop her weight to 100 pounds to satisfy Keith's preference for thin women and to never drink alcohol. Ooh, what? this this man is a predator he's like i get you're 24 i want you to vow that you're gonna be as childlike as possible because that's how i prefer it i know that's disgusting if anyone tried to make me vow to lose (laughs) listen i'd be like first of all i can't (laughs) i would just box him i don't even think i'd give like a proper answer it would just be like a big old thwack like i i do not have patience for that that is in Sane. What a disgusting person. So Camila is the youngest of three sisters, all who are Nixia members, and all allegedly impregnated by Keith. <laughs> disgusting. And that same year, Keith supposedly asked her through WhatsApp to find other virgins. I like shorter than me, younger is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nauseous. This guy makes me so ill. I can't believe he actually says these things and people listen to them and they were like, all right, like that. I I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, Cool. That's fine. So (laughs) Keith formed a subsect of Nixiam referred to as DOS meant to satisfy his desire for many sexual partners. And DOS included Smallville actress, Alison Mack and Lauren Salzman, who is the daughter of Nixian president, Nancy, and grew nearly 100 members. Some DOS members, referred to as successors by the group, were allegedly physically branded with Keith's initials using a hot cauterizing pen. According to prosecutors, Keith asked Camilla to accept the brand, but it appears she never did. She said, quote, I'm going to burn in hell for what you for you but i didn't think you would want to burn me she wrote him according to one of the whatsapp messages and the whatsapp messages featured screenshots of women from the hookup app tinder which camila had sent to keith for approval that is so spooky that Mm -hmm. is spooky i don't like that i don't like it either 
So I feel like now is a good time to transition into my introduction to this story. Um, On November 2nd, 2017, an Australian actress named Catherine Oxenberg went on the Today Show with Megyn Kelly and did an interview talking about how her daughter, India Oxenberg, had been hijacked by Nixium. The video Mm -hmm. ended up on my YouTube recommended page, actually, and the case has fascinated me ever since. Ooh, okay. So, then 19-year-old India was induced to Nixium in 2011 by her mother, Catherine, who had heard of it from a friend who she trusted. Her mom brought her to an inter- to an introductory course for ESP, and it started off as just something they could do together. India said at the time she had just finished her first year of post-secondary in Boston and decided that college wasn't really for her. She then moved back home with her mom in Malibu and had started to build a catering business called India's Cuisine. So she was initially interested in ESP because she was looking for a way to take her cooking from a passion to an actual business. And this is just what ESP had promised to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When Catherine and India went to the first intro ESP course together, they said that there were several people from the entertainment industry, successful business people, and other well-known celebrities there, which made it seem like a reputable and safe thing, you know? Mm -hmm. ESP was presented as a way to upgrade people's operating systems, and it was presented by people who were well-known and successful already, so India and Catherine thought that this seemed really legit. And after the introduction, they announced the cost of the first five-day course, uh, a cool $5,000 per person. Uh, nice. Yep. So Catherine and India decide that this will be a good bonding experience, and they both sign up. In May 2011, they went to their first ESP course in Venice, California, and they watched videos of Nancy Salzman teaching the material. When they later went on into breakout groups for discussion, the coach made sure to separate India and Catherine. It's a pretty common cult tactic to separate family members, you know, classic. Kind of prevent them from like, you know, siding with each other. Yeah. Seeing that maybe this is weird. (laughs) Something fishy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something's not right. And because Catherine was a pretty well-known actress for her leading role in the TV show Dynasty, and because her family has ties to the British royal family, I think her grandma, like, Catherine's mom is the princess of Yugoslavia, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, weird. Yeah. So they've got, like, pretty, like, close ties with, like, the royal family in Europe and with Mm -hmm. the British royal family. Um, And so they were considered like, high-value recruits. And Nancy Salzman herself actually ended up showing up to their class. And Mm -hmm. this was very unusual for these level one classes. Everybody was like, whoa, Nancy Salzman here. Like, that's crazy. She never shows up to these, like, intro classes. Yeah, these little piddly events. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So Nancy came and really tried to reel in Catherine in India and it worked. Catherine ended up hosting courses of her own for ESP, which was a program called Jeunesse, which was branded as a female empowerment program. The program was to help women understand women and for women to understand men. 
In the beginning of the course titled Raw, men and women were encouraged to talk about their gender's genuine experience of life and sex and how the other sex often made them feel repressed, uh, degraded, and ashamed. And by voicing these feelings, which can often be taboo to speak out loud, men supposedly developed compassion for women and vice versa. Jeunesse cost $5,000 for each eight-day workshop, of which there were 11. Okay. That's expensive. That is That's hella expensive. expensive. Hell. For fucking talking about sexism? I don't fucking think so, bitch. You cannot. I don't even think I could be wrong. I feel like anything that were like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a comparable college course, but like that's still considered expensive. Right? In Jeunesse, like many of Nixium's courses, once the unspoken had been spoken, a new theory developed by Keith took root. Keith told followers that they must accept that women and men are wired differently and men are repressed and do not enjoy the same rich experience of existence as women, but they have an understanding of right and wrong. Women, however, can be disloyal and have tantrums and get their way with whatever they want. And as Nancy puts it, the crazier I get, the more I get. What? Is this a seminar on teaching people how to be crazy bitches? I don't understand. <laughs> it's basically telling them, like, yeah, men are really hard done by because women just get whatever they want and men need to be treated better. Like, uh... seriously? The feminist in me is screaming. It's because, like, I like how it's marketed, too, as being, like, feminist and for women when that's, like, very much... Nope. no man's take on it it's like actually you guys are doing way better than us and you need to start treating the men better as if that hasn't already been a thing that's been going on for like thousands of years right and keith also introduced a theory about ancient men that he called the primitive hypothesis emphasizing that men are naturally promiscuous and women are naturally monogamous <laughs> I like how he's like sitting there thinking up all he's, these theories and he's like, mm, yes, what would benefit me the most? <laughs> ah, yes. So humans. See, humans, regardless, you, you, you see, humans are actually more like human A and human B, where human A is completely different than human B. How is it that we've gotten to this point with procreation? It don't make no sense to me. Like, <laughs> it, it don't make no sense. It just don't make no sense. But eventually, Catherine fell off the program and didn't want to be a part of it anymore, uh, probably for obvious reasons. And as India continued to get sucked into Nexium, her mother was backing out of it. India said, at the time, I felt like she didn't understand me, like she was judging me for joining. Which really put a rift between them, which is probably exactly Mm -hmm. what Nexium wanted that to oh, do. Of course. Well, that's like literally on like the cult agenda is to draw lines between you and whoever you're closest to so you can only depend on the cult. Exactly. However, India had become basically fully inducted by this point and she was mentored by Sarah Edmondson, Mark Bincinetti, and Bonnie Pice. And for reference, 
All of those people were high-level members of Nixium, as well as notable people within the entertainment industry. Sarah is a Canadian actor and voice actor. Mark had just finished a film called What the Bleep Do We Know, which was one of the highest-grossing documentary films at the time. And Bonnie was also an actress known for her breakout role in Star Wars Episode Two. All right. And India moved to the Nixium Motherland, Clifford Park in New York to focus on her growth. So her family is all in LA. She moves to New York. That's putting literally a physical rift between them now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She signed up for the group's university, which reportedly cost $5,000 a month. That's so much money. Everything you've said so far, I'm like, how does anybody afford that? Like, if you want people to join your cult? A lot of them went into debt for this. Like, a lot of people went into debt, which is horrendous. And the course's Mm -hmm. um, main teachings were neuro-linguistic programming techniques and introductory ethical and physiological theory, which students were encouraged to understand in the context of their own lives. India took courses like Mobus about the healing of the parts of yourself that you reject, not hating them and other people, and Human Pain, which was about understanding that love and pain often go together. Nixium taught the power of penance as a time-tested shortcut to achieving self-improvement, and India took long walks alongside Keith, who had become her guru, to discuss her goals. Ah, He encouraged her to start her own business, and she did, calling her company, uh, her new catering company, Mix, because it was a mix of vegan and vegetarian and Mexican food. When she was done cooking, she delivered meals through suburban developments in her BMW. That's interesting. I know, I was just thinking about that, and, like, I can see, like, where, like, she would think it's a good idea, but then, like, because it's all, like, intertwined with the cult, it's obviously, like, not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So, within Nixium, like any good cult or MLM, there was a ranking system among members. They used these short silk scarves to distinguish members. Beginners or students wore white scarves once they paid their entry fee, and it denoted them as students who were always available for coaching. And um, interestingly, Keith always wore a white scarf because he said he was a student of life. Oh, the the levels progressed through yellow, orange, green, blue, purple, and gold, but not everyone could move up to gold. Nancy was the only one who wore a gold scarf, and the green scarf could set a Nixium member back one million dollars. Oh my. Yeah. White scarves alone. It's like karate, but it's like expensive karate. Yeah. I was trying to think about where this like color system comes from. And I expected you to say like black scarf is the top or something. And I was like, it literally is. Ex- it sounds like expensive karate. They, like if that's... you're playing a million dollars for a green belt, like. That's literally how like he like described it. That's why he called himself Vanguard. He's like, when you go to a dojo you call the person teaching you master oh, so that was his like 
off. This guy's awful. When you go to the dojo, you call your guide your master. So I'm like the master. And you guys are all like my students. But I'm also a student of life. I want to run him over. <laughs> like, I don't know where you're going with this story, but like, I've heard enough. No, we're good. Um, white scarves alone cost $2,000. And apparently Keith would waive the fee for slender, attractive women. Students would also receive stripes as they move up levels within levels, costing members more money and time for each stripe. So it wasn't so like, like karate military. Yeah. So you didn't move up to like, so once you were white, you didn't just move up to like yellow. You had to get four stripes ironed onto your scarf before you could move up to the next level. And it's literally karate military. That is so weird. It was known as a process called moving up the stri- moving up the stripe path. And India expressed interest in going on the stripe path, which basically meant she wanted to be a coach or a proctor, as they sometimes referred to it, where you could mm-hmm. actually start to earn an income by teaching some of the courses. Right. So okay. rather than paying them a ton of money she wanted to earn a little something something and a former member of the cult said that the service needed to earn your next scarf was arbitrary and after and often more so about like the discretion of leadership than actually like earning it so because of these barriers for becoming a proctor which was India's ultimate goal at the time. She was taking extra courses, going to all the events, doing whatever she could to get the next stripe, which was all costing her a ton of money. Oh, absolutely. I was like, like, as you were saying that, I was like, that what this other person that you were mentioning, like their quote, it literally is like, okay, it isn't so much about what you make for money by going through these courses, but it's more about what you spend and what we make out of it and she was like all right and then starts like kept spending tons of money on following the quote-unquote stripe army karate path like (laughs) stripe army karate path in january of 2015 after five years in the program she was then introduced to canadian actress and former smallville star allison mack Mm -hmm. allison was at the time she was at the same event as India, which is how they met, and approached her to ask if she felt stuck in her personal growth. And it just so happened that she did. And so she confided in Allison, who was a high-ranking member slash proctor, and that she told her that she was having difficulties moving forward within the organization. And it seemed like no matter what she did, no matter how many courses she took, she could just never seem to get up to the next level. Um, you know, and Allison at this point told her about a secret society called DOS, which was presented as a women's only self-help group to move quicker in their personal growth. And Allison became India's mentor within the DOS program and India had to thereon refer to Allison as her master. Fucking dojo. Curse this stupid Keith man. Part of joining DOS was providing something called collateral, which Keith had introduced to his male followers as collateralizing your world, which members understood to be adding extra leverage to your conscience. If a man didn't uphold his word about running, 
perhaps the whole group would forgo their next morning's coffee. So if one person knew that his friends couldn't have coffee in the next morning because he didn't do his run that night, then it would incentivize him to do it and make sh- and hold mm-hmm. him accountable. Um, yep, that's what they do in the military. Yeah. So collateral took a little bit of a different form when applied to women, though. It needed to be something that, if lost, would punish or damage you. A nude photo, a video confessional about a law you'd broken, maybe even the deed to your house. That is literally the most sexist, biased thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes, you guys, it's just, if you don't do it, then everybody's going to be mad at you. Women, if you don't do it, your nudes are going to be leaked on the internet and we're taking your house. Like, what do you mean? You can't just take my fucking house, bruh. Because I didn't want to go on a run? Like, are you serious right now? So collateral, um, you might also call it blackmail, you know, just cash. Super cash, yep. Um, And when India agreed to be Allison's slave... She was forced to divulge a huge family secret as part of her collateral. A secret that she says could have ruined her whole family's reputation. Remember that her mother's a famous Hollywood actress and her family has ties to the British royal family. So I'm sure it was hella juicy. I would like to know what it is, India. Please tell me. To be a fly on all of those walls, if only. (laughs) Was it? But see... This is, like, what I was telling you before, though, like, when you had originally uh, mentioned that you were watching these documentaries, like, I would have just made something up. Like, how are they going to prove that, you know? I think it's probably because, like, at this point, they're so indoctrinated that they truly trust these people to be looking out for their well-being. You know, like, they don't see that it's insidious. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess. That does make more sense, because, yeah, no, if it was me, I totally would have just made something up. I'd be like, yeah, my great-grandfather invented dinosaurs. It just, he did it. I don't know how. (laughs) His secrets were never revealed, but he did it. He he did it. He done did it. Obviously a believable one, but, like, you know, just something. So one of the many secrets that India divulged as part of her collateral was that her father had been in jail for selling drugs, and she also told Allison details of an overseas bank account that her grandfather had. But those Mm. were some of the more tame secrets, I'm told. Tame? Um, Allison had described the master-slave relationship like this. The woman who invited you to the group was your master or the representation of your conscience, your higher self, your most ideal. Masters help slaves count calories to save them from the trap of emotional eating. Masters dictate an act of self-denial like cold showers or rousing yourself from bed at 4 a.m. and standing perfectly still for a period of time. Slaves were told to do acts of care for masters, like bringing them coffee or gifts. And slaves might be told to abstain from orgasms in order to heal from their negative sexual patterns. Allison said that this was about devotion and like any spiritual practice or religion. She said, you're dedicating your life one way or another. DOS was about women coming together and pledging to one another a full-time commitment to become our most powerful and embodied selves by pushing our greatest fears and by exposing our greatest vulnerabilities, by knowing that we would stand with each other no matter what, by holding our word, by overcoming pain. 
That's wordy, but... Yeah. As India's master, she had to do anything that Allison asked of her and had to ask for permission before doing basic things. India moved in with Allison to be closer to her, and Allison um, limited the amount of food that she could eat. Keith liked his women very thin and required her to cook and clean for her. She later described her relationship with Allison as abusive, citing a 500-calorie-per-day diet that was monitored by Allison, and her daily activities included eating, sleeping, including eating and sleeping, were all monitored. Her day would start with waking up and taking a cold shower, then weighing herself. And India didn't realize until later that this was so she could look more childlike in Keith's eyes. Barf. I hate this man. After her weigh-in, India had to check in with Allison and send her her proposed schedule for the day so that Allison could approve it. She had to send Allison a detailed journal of her calorie intake and ask permission to eat every meal and had to stop eating by 5 p.m. Throughout the day, India said that she had to text Allison for permission to do anything that they had not previously agreed to and be ready to respond to any text message Allison sent within seconds or be punished. Nice. We, get, we love that controlling abusive behavior. Yes. She said, quote, If I deviated from any of these rules, then Allison gave me penance, which would be any kind of display of pain to show my loyalty and willingness to correct a transgression. For penance, she had to do things that were physically or mentally taxing um, to prove her loyalty, like reading Keith's teaching for hours or standing outside in the cold at 3 a.m., India said that DOS masters put their slaves on strict schedules to wear them down and to make them easier to manipulate into sexual acts. It was all a ploy. That's literally like the whole point. Yeah. So India said, quote, it was a ploy for Keith to enslave women for his own sexual desires. India had also continually had to provide collateral, which had primarily taken form in the exchange of personal family secrets and nude photographs of herself, um, which is horrible. So they continue to ask for collateral. All the time. Like, after she already, like, yep. gave it. How is that? Like, constantly. That yeah. In the documentary, Seduced, she gave this analogy where she... Like, they had to give collateral on, like, a very regular basis. I think it was, like, once a week or something. And one time she was driving and they asked for collateral. So she literally had to pull over and take a nude picture of herself right there. Oh, my God. That's horrendous. I can't even imagine. Yeah. That's... It's actually disgusting. India said that they were told that fearing certain sexual experiences like those with Keith were signs that they had more self-improvement to do and that following Keith's teachings and seducing him would help them become more fulfilled. Before joining DOS, India had been led to believe that Keith was completely celibate and this is how he wanted to be portrayed to the outside world. Allison had also told India that when she joined that Keith was in no way associated with DOS and that it was a completely separate thing from him and that she was actually just one of the co-founders. Keith had nothing to do with this. And obviously, mm. this was all confirmed to be false when India got her next assignment from Allison, which was called the seduction assignment. Great. India said, quote, 
The relationship took a different turn and became sexual when I was commanded to do a seduction assignment. That was the beginning of a continual sexual abuse and I didn't see it as that at the time. Describing her sexual relationship with Keith as rape, India explains that she had been blackmailed to stay. She said, I had given collateral, which automatically removes my choice, so I did not have the option to say no. Saying no meant hurting my family or hurting my friends, and I wasn't going to do that. Unbeknownst to India, Keith was Allison's master, and that she was his personal slave, the collateral that she gave to him is absolutely horrifying and included things like a contract declaring that if she broke her commitment, her home would be transferred into his name and future children birthed by her would be his, as well as a letter addressed to social services claiming abuse of her nephews. And when slaves took nude photos and gave them to their masters as collateral, believing only women were involved in the group, Allison sent it straight to Keith. And in one instance, upon receiving photos, Keith replied back to Allison with a text reading, all mine, question mark, with a smiling devil emoji. Uh, He, okay, like literally as you were describing that, I was like, he sounds like Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) Like, like... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not even fucking kidding. Cause like he's like, I'm like your children belong to me in your future. I'm gonna take your house. He's like Rumpelstiltskin, but like evil, significantly worse. Yeah, like significantly worse. This man is evil. Truly. So in order to please him, Allison decided to take on attractive young women as her slaves, such as India. Allegations include that late at night she'd send out one of her slaves for a walk with Keith. He would then proceed to blindfold them, lead them to what seemed like a shack, and tie them to a table. After which, another person whom they did not know or and could not see would perform oral sex on them. Ew. Yeah. Ew. I don't like that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. That's a no. As yet another tactic of this MLM-structured cult, each master was supposed to bring in their own slaves, and to become masters, those slaves would recruit their own like so they're on so it's like the recruitment kind of aspect of it so if you wanted to become a master you had to recruit your own slaves into dos right it's like a whole like cycle yeah Yeah. an estimated 150 women ultimately joined and some slaves called each other's sisters allison later described each circle was like a little family oh oh so cute a little a little creepy family (laughs) Allison had instructed India to get some of her own slaves, and she did. Most of the women had been first indoctrinated with the material from the Jeunesse program. The ideas promoted were that men were inclined towards polyamory and women were not, and that in Clifton Park, the natural order of the genders was being taught, promising to seduce Keith, which was apparently the way he preferred to be approached sexually, rather than putting himself on the line, was also one of the ways some women later said they were told to show commitment to the sisterhood. It was a test of faith in Doss, proof of ultimate commitment, of loyalty, and if you didn't have faith, Doss wouldn't work for you and you would lose all of your sisters and your chance of becoming a real badass girl boss. Nice. Some some good old manipulation. In January of 2016, India was held down and forced to get her DOS branding. She was taken to get it done with a group of other women who had joined around the same time as her. 
First, they were all stripped naked. One by one, they lay on a massage table while a female osteopath, also a Nixie member, used a hot cauterizing pen to brand the flesh near their pelvic bone. She carved a symbol that some women thought represented the four elements or seven chakras or a horizontal bar with the Greek letters alpha and mu, but if you looked at it again, it contained a different talisman, a K and an R, which were Keith's initials. And not all of the women were told that these initials were present in the symbol. At the time, India didn't know the symbol was his initials. She said, it was horrible. At the time, I thought I was doing this empowering, bonding moment with a group of friends that I considered my nearest and dearest. We were all told it was a symbol of the elements and that this was going to be a bonding experiment. Experience. And we were all sleep deprived. We were starved. We were coerced. You don't just decide to be branded. You're coerced into being branded. Which I would agree with. Yes, I would agree with that as well. During this period of time, India had completely cut herself off from her family and friends who weren't involved in Nixium. And her mother, Catherine, was getting increasingly worried about the well-being of her daughter. Cut back to 2017, her mom went on a media crusade in an attempt to reach her daughter and help get her out of the group. During this media frenzy, a lot of attention was put on to Nixium and to Doss, and Keith fled to Mexico, accompanied by a few members of his inner circle. A search warrant was issued for Keith's email account on January 18, 2018. An agent of the FBI filed a criminal complaint and arrest warrant against Keith with the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York on February 14, 2018. Keith was arrested by Mexican federal police authorities in a luxury villa outside Puerto Vallera in March 2018. Lauren Salzman later recalled that the arrest interfered with a planned group sex session when police arrived. She and Keith had barricaded themselves into the master suite with Keith attempting to hide in a walk-in closet. Keith was then transferred to custody in New York after appearing in federal court in Fort Worth, Texas, and Keith was indicted on a variety of charges related to DOS, including sex trafficking, conspiracy for sex trafficking, and a conspiracy to commit forced labor. The indictment alleged that at least one of the women was coerced into sex with Keith, who forced DOS members to undergo the branding ritual alleged by Sarah Edmondson and others. United States attorney Richard Dungho said that Keith created a secret society of women with whom he had sex and whom he branded with his initials, coercing them with the threat of releasing their highly personal information and taking their assets. At this point, Keith and Allison were both uh, arrested and awaiting trial, but India was still very much under Allison's thumb. When India was questioned by the FBI soon after Keith's arrest, she denied that anything negative or sexual had happened with Anixium, and she says that she wasn't lying because at the time, that's what she believed because she was still in it. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, she has a different opinion now. Uh, After Allison was arrested, India even agreed to box up her apartment and put it into storage. A few of Allison's items, a jewelry, a diary, a box of flash drives, seemed too personal to throw into a storage unit, so India put the items into a bag and kept them with her. A few months passed, and with Keith and Allison behind bars, the ties to the organization were fading, and she finally came around to her mom's pleas for her to escape. Um, So she did. She went back to Malibu and 
Six months later, she remembered the duffel bag and decided to see what was on those flash drives. She said it was a huge moment for her. And when she heard what was on those flash drives, that cemented in her mind that she was taken advantage of. So the flash mm-hmm. drives contained audio of Keith masterminding Doss's darkest details. In one recording, Keith could be heard describing the branding of his initials that he wanted to burn into the pelvic skin of the women involved and that he yeah. handpicked women to be in this group. Um, in another bit of audio, Keith instructed Doss Masters on how to make it look as though the women whom he specified should be naked during their induction wanted to be branded, even though the pain without anesthesia was so searing that some participants had to be physically held down. India had been told by her mother and other former Nixian members that Keith was the dark, deliberate force behind Doss, but it was really hard to believe until she literally heard it come from his mouth. So Mm -hmm. once she heard what was on these flash drives, she handed it over to the FBI and this became critical evidence for the prosecution. And Oh, of course. Yeah. So, and it really was a turning point for her and her relationship with her mom because she now realizes that she was being completely manipulated and she could start, the process of healing and moving on. Keith's federal trial began began on May 7, 2019, and he was being charged with sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography, sex trafficking and attempted sex trafficking, identity theft, um, trafficking for labor services, forced labor, conspiracy to alter records for use in official proceedings and sex trafficking conspiracy forced labor conspiracy racketeering conspiracy and wire fraud conspiracy and on june 19 2019 he was found guilty on all charges after only five hours of deliberation on october 27 2020 the federal judge nicholas garufus sentenced him to 120 years in prison and fined him 1.75 million dollars and as of january 2021 he has began serving his 120 year sentence at the united states penitentiary lewisburg which is a maximum security penitentiary in pennsylvania and on January 22nd, 2021, he was transferred to another maximum security prison, the United States Penitentiary Tus- Tuscan in Tuscan, Arizona. He, his earliest possible parole date is June 27th, 2120, when he will be 160 years old, virtually ensuring that he will die in prison. Good. Honestly, he deserves it. He does deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that is horrendous. That, I can't even believe that. That is, well, first of all, it's a lot to unpack. Um, But yeah, I can't even believe that he got that far into it, you know, with like the amount of crime. And the amount of expose, like Forbes did the expose on him in like 2005. And this went on mm-hmm. until like 2019. Yeah, that's horrendous. That, that, that should never have happened. <laughs> Like, uh, no words. Yeah, I don't know. We've, uh, I've, I've shared my thoughts kind of along with your storytelling just because there is so much. But, like, yeah, I don't know. It still is amazing to me in, like, a terrible way that there is these people 
who exist and they do genuinely think that that like that where they're like I want to start a cult and then I'm going to recruit a bunch of women and I'm going to like manipulate all these people so that I can get what I want like out of these different relationships because I'm you know this huge asshole who needs like people to like want me and need me and fear me like a god like it's so weird to me it's just it's scary to think that people like this exist i don't know it's heinous the fact that he so heinous enslaved women and groomed women and and branded them like physically branded them too like on top of all of it with like his own initials i can't even believe that Mm -hmm. yeah there is a rumor that alice and max initials are allegedly in the symbol as well of the branding but i don't know for sure if that's actually true uh allison also got sentenced to a lot of years of prison because she was an integral part of the creation of oh, absolutely oh absolutely yeah she definitely should be in prison also so yeah i believe she also got 120 years but don't quote don't quote me on that guys still i would assume though if he if he got that time she would at least had a significant amount of time to like it, like they're on the even playing field when it comes to guilt for the most part i think his is a lot more disgusting but well, i mean he had years of it uh, doesn't mean she wasn't complicit though yeah yeah he had years of uh bad behavior before she entered the picture though oh absolutely yeah um but then does this mean that this is the end of your story this is the end this has uh, been a longer one than i thought you know what though it makes sense just with like all the craziness that does come from cults, I find that those usually tend to be our longer episodes, but I'm not mad about it. Exactly. Yeah, so on that on that note then, I guess I can do our plugins. So if you would like to follow us on our social media, our handle is at Wheel of Crime. That's for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Um let's see. I gotta dig through my brain for a minute. Uh if you would like to check us out on our website, it is up for you to take a look at, which is Wheel of Crime, uh, or sorry, www.wheelofcrime.com. Uh, we have a Patreon as well if you'd like to help donate to the show, so you can check that out. And there are different rewards for depending on whatever it is you'd like to contribute and help us out with. And then uh, if you would like to get, leave us a review on iTunes, it would help us a lot with the algorithms and everything. So five stars, please. And... Um, is that it? I, I'm not sure if I'm forgetting something. Uh, that is it. So we will see you next week with another episode. Have a good one, guys. Yes, take care and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.